We're going to look at one verse. We're going to focus on verse 14. It's up on the screen there for you. But let me talk to you a little bit about where we are in our book of Hebrews. We've been looking at at these Hebrew believers and the writer who doesn't identify himself. uh, We're not sure. I think it's Paul, but you know what? We're not sure exactly who is the writer on this. There are some differences here uh, between the way this is written and the way some of Paul's uh, epistles are written. But the writer is writing to a people who are getting discouraged They're thinking back of the old ways. They used to be in the Jewish faith. They had all those rituals. They had all those things going on. And they're thinking back on those things and looking at those things and thinking to themselves, you know what, maybe we were better off. Maybe we should go back. They're getting persecuted. Their friends are falling away. And and they're thinking, maybe we should go back the way. And the writer is actually showing them step by step and blow by blow how Jesus is far better. Jesus is far better. And what he's doing is he's showing them that the, the, uh, the Old Testament things were just a picture of what we have in Jesus. That all the Old Testament was leading up to Jesus. All the Old Testament was pointing uh, to Jesus. The Old Testament law couldn't save people because we weren't able to keep it. It was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Christ is the answer. Christ is the solution. And he's going through it over and over again, showing them how much better uh, Jesus is. Right? And then uh, let's read. We're not going to read the whole chapter, right? But he, he talks in the first part of the chapter about the, uh, the tabernacle, uh, the, the, the temple. And here's what happened in the tabernacle. You had the outer court where people met. And then you had the inner court where the priests ministered. And then you had the Holy of Holies. And one time a year... The priest went into the Holy of Holies with blood for himself and for the rest of the people uh, to make atonement. Right? And um, all of these rituals, and there was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. There were all kinds of offerings that the uh, nation of Israel did. All of these sacrifices and rituals really governed their lives. If you, if you were being orthodox and living uh, as a Jew should live, I mean, you were constantly involved in the work of the temple, constantly doing something, uh, constantly, there was, there was always something going on. And these poor believers now are missing all that. They're missing all that. They're thinking, but you know what? <clears throat> we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't do the other. And they're, they're, they're feeling bad. And he's going to address that for them. But we're going to start reading <clears throat> From verse 7, right? Verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present. It's a figure uh, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. You know what? They couldn't thoroughly cleanse a person. Now, look, the reality is that's what they were told to do, and that's how they dealt with sin, but it didn't do a work on the inside. It didn't take somebody and sort them out fully and completely. What happened was, you know, you felt bad about your sin. Uh, you went and made your offering for sin. You brought your lamb, you know, at the Passover. Uh, you know, you were constantly making sacrifice. And, and yeah, it was kind of covered over, but you know what? You weren't changed. You gave up your sacrifice and you went away the same. You weren't changed. And what he's showing them is now something different entirely, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But Christ, 
being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. By the way, next week we'll, we'll talk a little bit, a bit about the idea of Jesus was sacrificed once for all. Only once. There, there's a, there's a, a body of thought out there that says, no, he gets sacrificed all day, every day, or he gets sacrificed whenever <clears throat> somebody's at the altar. No, the Bible says it was once. But we'll come, to, we'll come to that next week. We'll talk about the fact that it was once a little bit more next week, right? Uh, but he was sacrificed. Uh, for if the blood, verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Right? Now, he's talking about a how much more. The whole theme of it is Jesus is better. And his term here is how much more. How much more will the blood of Christ, it's the blood. We need to remember that. It's the blood that does the work. You know, it's not just the saving death. It's the saving blood, the blood that does the work. My Bible tells us it's, it's the blood that made atonement for our sin. It's the blood. It's Jesus' blood. We have so much in the blood that we don't understand. The, the, the Old Testament Jew was dealing with blood all the time, but it was the blood of bulls and the blood of goats. And, and, you know, it didn't do it. But we have something that does do it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us this morning, Lord? Help us as we look to your word. Uh, Lord, help us to, to glean truth, Lord, that we can apply to our lives and our hearts today. And Lord, may it be that we... <clears throat> walk away from this place different, Lord, because you've taken and convinced us of truth and put it in our hearts. Or would you bless now? Would you be with us in Jesus' precious name? Amen. All right. First thing we're going to look at here this morning is this. There's power in the blood. Right now we sing the song. There's power in the blood. There's wonder-working power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Uh, Would you live daily his praises to win? There's power in the blood. Listen, all that you and I need is found in the blood. Now, here's the thing about it is that the Old Testament Jew had all these blood sacrifices and the blood was sprinkled on the altar and the blood was drained out of the bodies and so on. And it was, I mean, it was a very bloody religion, really, to be honest, but it was all pointing towards this blood. Now, the blood has a supernatural impact upon our lives. It's not the blood of bulls and goats, uh, not just a picture of what would be, but it's the blood. It's the power of Jesus' blood. All that was just a picture showing us what would happen. Uh, It's still powerful today to save. You're going to be saved. The Bible says uh, that that we can have redemption through his blood in Ephesians 1.7. It says the same thing in Colossians, that we have redemption, that we are bought back through his blood. Now, there's a whole wealth of, wealth of truth in there for us. Right? First of all, obviously I couldn't do it myself. It had to be his blood. Right? I could never do it myself. Secondly, you know, my problem was pretty big because it had to be his blood. Thirdly, it's a supernatural thing. How did you get saved? Well, I got saved one day, finally convinced. I knelt down my be- by my bed. I asked Jesus to save me. And he took and applied the blood, and I rose up, saved person. Same thing as what happened to you if you're saved. 
At some point, it might not have been by your bed, it might have been sitting in a chair, it might have been lying on your bed, it doesn't matter where it was, but there was a point when you cried out to him and he reached down and he applied the blood to your life and you were saved. Now, you never saw the blood. It was supernatural, wasn't it? It's an amazing thing what God did in your life. In fact, here's the reality. The reality is that if you were talking to somebody about it, you'd explain that they might not talk about the blood as much as we're talking about it this morning in salvation, but the blood is the key element. Right? The blood is what does it. But, but you know, we really don't have a problem with the fact that, yeah, no, you know, it was a supernatural work that was done in my life the day I got saved. I couldn't. I couldn't even bring anything to the table. He did it. But, you know... <clears throat> That it's Jesus and his blood that sanctifies as well. In Colossians 1.30, it says that he is our sanctification, among other things. He is our sanctification. Now, here's what happens for us. We think of the blood as, yes, the blood is our salvation. The blood is our redemption. Apart from the blood, we couldn't be uh, saved. But then when it comes to the idea of us being... being sanctified, being made whole spiritually, living holy lives... We take it on board ourselves. Do you know it's the blood? It's the blood. It's not in your power. You can't make yourself right in God's eyes. You can't live right in God's eyes in your own power. It's the blood. It's the power that Jesus Christ bought for us that makes us whole. See, there's power in the blood. There's a power in the blood that I'm, I'm not sure uh, we, we fully comprehend. There's a power in that blood. When we see this power in the blood, it seems very kind of out there to us. But no, spiritually speaking, it's a very real thing. There is power in that blood. There is power in that blood. So, first of all, there's power in the blood. Secondly, he freely offered himself through the Spirit for you. He freely offered himself. Verse 14 again. uh, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God? What's he talking about there? Do you know that... They didn't capture Jesus and crucify him. Do you know that? He couldn't capture Jesus. They tried. If Jesus didn't want to be captured, there was no way any power on this earth could catch him. In fact, he said he could have called the Father, and the Father would have sent legions of angels right, to set him free. He could have done that. <clears throat> Nobody captured Jesus and crucified himself. He offered himself. It was a free will offering, if you like. He decided to offer himself. Now, why? Why did he offer himself? Well, he offered himself because he loves you and I. Now, you want a deeper reason, don't you? You want some theological reason. You want something that goes much further than that. No, he offered himself because he loves you and I. Now, why does he love you and I? I don't know. Humanly speaking, I can't work it out. Why would he love me? Why would he love you? And yet he offered himself because he loved us. He also offered himself because it was the only way to satisfy the wrath of God. Do do you know that before you were saved and before I was saved, we were under the wrath of God? John 3.36 tells us that clearly, that we were under the wrath of God. That God was angry about sin and about wickedness. And yes, he loved us, but we were under his wrath. And do you know what you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. 
You're born under his wrath. You live under his wrath. And if you do nothing, you'll go to hell. Because you're under his wrath. You don't, you don't, but do you know that the blood of Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God? Do you know that his blood satisfied the wrath? His blood is what was acceptable. You know, the, the, the picture of the, the, the Old Testament priest going, in, going into the Holy of Holies on, on, on the Day of Atonement, and he would bring with him the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the, horn, on the altar, right? between the, the cherubim, and it would be accepted to, 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 to take away their sin. Do you know that's just a picture of what really happened? Of what was really going to happen? Jesus' blood was going to be accepted by the Father. And wrath was going to be removed from us. Because Jesus' blood was accepted. I owe everything to the blood of Jesus. Everything to this one that died for me. I owe everything to this one who gave himself for me. It's, it's, it's all in the blood. It's all in what he did for me. I love the, the song, Here is Love. And I love the second verse of that song. And the last line of that verse says, And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. That's rich. That is rich. Heaven's peace and perfect justice. Jesus represented heaven's peace on the one side and its perfect justice too. You know, God couldn't just say, well, you know, Dave, you're a nice guy, and I kind of like you, so let's just, let's just forget about the sin. Let's just not think about it. Sometimes we want to do that with our kids, don't we? Sometimes, in fact, we turn a blind eye with our kids because we haven't got the heart to deal with stuff. You know, we're not in the mood, we're, <clears throat> we're fed up, and, and we don't. Sometimes we, we turn a blind eye. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but some, sometimes we do. But you know that God couldn't turn a blind eye to sin? Because God is a just God. And being a just God, everything you say you're going to do, you have to actually do. <clears throat> don't, we, don't we love that about him? Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Don't we love the fact that if he says something to us in the word, we don't have to wonder, I wonder will he do it? Did your par- parents ever promise you something when you were a kid? And um, for, for one reason or another, they weren't able to do it and it didn't happen. I mean, you were so wrecked by it, weren't you? My poor father fell off his motorbike one day when he was actually taking us on a trip that day. And um, we were all ready to go. We were, so, we, we were so ready to go. The picnic bag was packed. I, I can still see the picnic bag. Right? It's got to be 50 years ago now. I can still see the picnic bag on the kitchen table, packed and ready to go. And my dad walks in the door dead late, all covered in bandages because he'd fallen off his bike and he had to go to the hospital. Now, we didn't run up to him and say to him, Oh, Dad, that's terrible. We didn't care. We were bawling, crying because we weren't going on our trip. <clears throat> yeah, we, we just weren't happy because, you know what? But he promised us, and we were living on the promise. You know, God never breaks a promise to you, not for any reason. N- nothing can ever make him break the promise to you. When God says he's going to do it, he will always do it. Now, the other side of that is that when God says the wages of sin is death, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. We can get as modern as we like. We can get <clears throat> as loose in our thinking as we like. We can change our idea of who God is as much as we like. He has to do it. Because he said he would. God has to do everything he said he will do. He has to do. 
God can't fudge it. God can't ignore it. God can't say no. So he's looking at this fact. He loves us. We know he loves us because the Bible tells us he loves us. But he's, 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 there's wrath. Uh, there's judgment due over, due over sin. And that judgment is hell. And God is looking at that. And his peace and his perfect justice kissed a guilty world. Do you know we were guilty? Oh, read Romans 1, 2, and 3. And the Apostle Paul is just laying down blow after blow after blow of there's no excuse. There's no excuse. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. There's no excuse. No excuse. There's no way out of it. Uh, We were guilty. There's, There's no way to avoid it. But what did he do? He kissed a guilty world in love by offering himself a sacrifice. We had a debt we couldn't pay. So what did he do? He said, I'll pay it. I'll go. I'll hang on the cross. I'll pay the price for them. It was set up before the foundation of the world. He said, I'm I'm going to pay the price for their sin. Nobody's ever loved you like that. Nobody's ever loved you and known as much about you as he did. But he loved you and he freely gave himself for you. Isn't that wonderful? Do do you know that not only does that meet our need as far as sin is concerned, but that meets the deepest need of our souls. I want to be loved. You want to be loved. But sometimes we're not very lovable. But we still want to be loved. And sometimes people are having problems and they can't love us. But he loved me, knowing everything about me. He loved me, and he offered himself for me. It says through the eternal spirit, I believe that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you know, <clears throat> I believe this too. I, I believe that the Godhead was fully involved in Jesus going to the cross. Listen, <clears throat> you have the Holy Spirit mentioned in it. You have the Father mentioned in it. You have Jesus mentioned in it. God loves you. In totality. Not for anything you did to earn his love. Because when he died for you, you hadn't done anything except sin. He loves you and he's made you his child because he would love, the Bible says. Listen, that answer is a huge problem for us. That answers a huge need for us. Do you feel inferior? Do you feel like you're less? Do you feel like uh, you don't get it right? Do you feel like uh, you're, you're a bit of a mess? Yeah, we all are. But he loves you. And he's not going to quit. He loves you. All right, then. <clears throat> Number three. Offered himself, and this is strange to cleanse your conscience from dead works. Why cleanse is pretty easy to understand. Cleansing your conscience, that's kind of difficult to understand. And then from dead works, you see, I wanted to say, and he cleansed your soul from sin. That'd be really easy for me to understand. But that's not what it's saying. And the Bible doesn't use words for no reason. What it's saying is that he cleansed your conscience from dead works. Now, uh, um, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What's he talking about? 
Well, we've mentioned it already. The Jewish faith was full of rituals and washings and rules and offerings and, and sacrifices. It was just full of it. You know, every part of their lives was dominated by the reality of all these things uh, that they were doing. It, it was intended. It, it was not a religion that was kind of, you know, a, a Sunday-type religion. It was your life. Your, life, your whole life was, was dominated by this religion, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, but everything about their lives was regulated uh, effectively by it. Their foods they ate, the way they worked. The, uh, everything was regulated for them in, in the commandments, right? Now, what happened for them is, is what happens to all of us when you give us a whole bunch of rules uh, to keep. Here's what we do. We do the rules, but we can do them without any heart, or without any life, we just do them. And so that, that's what you got for the Jews. You got them uh, doing the works, and you got them doing the rules. And I mean, the Pharisees were brilliant, weren't they? I mean, they had more rules going on that they were keeping and they were looking after than you and I can even imagine. But you know what they said? They said, Jesus, we don't like you. You're upstaging us. You're an upstart. And they got rid of them. You know what they were doing? They were doing dead works. It was dead works for them. Now, look, they'd have argued with you till the cows came home. No, 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 we love God. We serve God. We are God's people. They would have said, look at all the things we do. But the proof of the pudding, as they say, is in the eating. And when God came, they rejected him and said, no, we're not accepting you. You're just messing up our, our, our deal. You're just messing up what we're trying to do. And they had all these works, but they were dead works. They were just going through the motions. Now, here's the problem for these people after they got saved. Can you imagine if your whole life was regulated by the things you were supposed to do from the morning until the evening, and you had all these rules and regulations, and all of a sudden you wake up one day, and um, I'm saved now. I, I, I don't need to worry about a morning sacrifice. I don't need to worry about the Passover I don't need to worry about the Day of Atonement. I don't need to worry about it because it's all done. It's all fixed. They were all pictures, and now it's done. And they're feeling like, uh, what do I do now? And they're beginning to feel bad because they were doing so much, and now they're doing nothing. Comparatively, nothing. I think it must be like for a Muslim when they get saved. Can you imagine a Muslim who gets saved, and the call to prayer goes out 5 o'clock in the morning or whatever goes out, and they feel, shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't I be going to the mosque or maybe to the church or, 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 or something? Because what's happened is their conscience has been informed over years of doing that you have to do. And these poor Jews, they, they, were, they were full of all that they were supposed to do. And now they're saved. They're born again. The pictures have been completed. Jesus has died. The blood has been shed and they're cleansed. All the pictures they were doing of offerings and sacrifices and everything else had now been completed for them in one person and it was over. And they're feeling at a loss because their conscience is telling them, you're supposed to be doing something more. Did you ever feel like that? Did you ever feel like you had to do something uh, to merit God's favor? Did you ever feel like you had to do something to get it right for yourself? Now, look, I'm not, God can actually, the Spirit of God can work in your heart and say, I want you to do this thing. But sometimes it's not the Spirit of God. Uh, it's just us thinking we should be doing something. It's just us being informed and think, thinking we should be, <clears throat> be doing something. And I think that's where these poor people were. And you see, they got it. They were saved. 
They were on the way to heaven. But they were kind of caught up in the old lifestyle. They were kind of caught up in not the wicked sin life, as we would say. You know, they weren't going clubbing and drinking and all the rest of it. No, they weren't. They were good Jews. They were, they were doing the good things. But they were dead works. They were just going through the motions. And they needed to be cleansed of them. They needed to be purged of them. They needed to be set free from them. <clears throat> you see, here's the problem with dead works. And can you, by the way, let me ask you a question. Can you do dead works? Of course you can. Have you done dead works? I'm sure you have. I'm sure I have too. Did you ever open your Bible? And you're going to do the Bible reading because it's important that you do the Bible reading. Now listen, it's important that you do the Bible reading. But it's important that you connect with the person that you're talking to. It's not about you just going through the motions and doing. Did you ever come to church and do dead works? Yeah? It's kind of harder for me because I've got to think about what I'm saying to you, right? But you can sit there and you can look all intelligent at my face and, and you can be thinking about another planet. Right? And you, listen, your body's here, but you're not really here. Dead works. <clears throat> can we do standards as dead works? Yep. We can, we, we can do all kinds of things as dead works. And it's, the, the problem with dead works is this. Dead works are not neutral. Right? Dead works are actually a negative. Uh, they hinder us from serving the living God. H- how does that work, you say? Well, well, here's the problem for us. When I'm doing the dead works, I'm feeling good about myself because I'm doing stuff, but I'm not connecting to God. And it's actually a negative. If I was God, I'd actually be offended. <clears throat> and I think that's what you see in the, in, the, in the Bible when he says, listen, put away your sacrifices. I don't want them. Your fastings, I don't want them. I want your heart. I want the reality of you. You see, dead works are very comforting for us because we can check the boxes. And we need to get ourselves cleansed of those and we need to do the real thing. We need our conscience purged from dead works. See, here's the thing. <clears throat> you know, um, <clears throat> there are certain things that you, regard, you and I regard as sin. If we did those things, we would, be, we would recognize very quickly, that is wrong, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, would you forgive me? But <clears throat> sitting through your devotional time and not connecting with God isn't one of those things, is it? Because you can actually say, yeah, I did it. Check the box. Going to church and not in your heart connecting with God is something you say, well, that's okay. See, we can do so many things like that, and they're just dead works. And not only do they not count, but they hinder us. You see... Christianity is us relating to the living God. Walking with him, talking with him, enjoying him, living for him. Christianity is me walking with the living God. And you know, I got to make the connection. I got to make the connection. I got to be with him. I got to connect with him. I got to be there with him. And so I got to do... I gotta have my conscience purged of good works so that I can serve the living God. Now, I'm gonna ask you, what do you think you need to do to get your conscience purged of good works? Because some of you are sitting there, and here's what you're saying okay, he's right, he's right. I'd do better. 
tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to do better in my devotions. Tomorrow I'm going to actually kind of clue in, and I'm going to not just go through the motions. I'm going to actually do them. Maybe, maybe you're saying, well, tomorrow I'm going to have devotions. That'd be good too, right? Uh, right. But and so if what we do is we we very quickly come to the place where I'm going to do better. It's not about you doing better. It's about the blood purging your conscience from dead works. It's about you coming to the place where you say, Lord, you know what, Lord? What he's talking about, that's me. I do that stuff way too regularly. Oh, Lord, it's dead works. I know it doesn't make you happy. It makes me kind of happy because I feel like I'm checking the boxes. But I know it doesn't make you happy. And Lord, I'm coming to you today. Lord, I'm, I'm confessing the sin. Lord, would you, would you take and would you purge me from dead works with your blood? Would you take him? Would you do that? Would you, would you purge me from those things that I lean on that are not the sweetness of my relationship with you? You see, <clears throat> if you're going to have devotions, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Devotions. Devotions kind of sounds like you should be devoting to somebody or devoted to somebody or kind of longing to be with them. Doesn't it? You see, <clears throat> reading my Bible is not necessarily devotions. Now, I, look, there are going to be days when you struggle more than others, and there are going to be times, but we've got to understand it's not about checking the box. It's about spending time with him. And a good way for you to start your Bible time off in the day would be, Lord, help me. Because, Lord, if you don't help me, my mind's going to wander and drift, and I'm going to get all kinds of things going, and I'm going to just check the box. Lord, help me. I need your help. Lord, would you step in? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ to actually enable you not to be a box checker, not to be a dead works worker, but to actually be somebody who enjoys a relationship with him and walks with him. Because that's what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die to start a new religion. Oh, yeah, there has to be a framework and there has to be a meeting and there has to be a place to meet and all those things. Yeah, I, I get that. But Jesus died so that I could step into a sweet relationship with him. I get to know him. Man was estranged from God because of the sin in the garden. And, and Jesus stepped in to, to change all that, to fix all that, and to turn it all around and, and to put us in the place where we could walk with him and know him and enjoy him. When it becomes dead works, when you become a box checker, what happens is it's not what he wants at all. He wants you. He loves you. He died so that you could enjoy him and he could enjoy you. So stop doing dead works. Stop doing dead works. Draw a line in the sand. I'm not going to go through the motions, Lord. I'm not going to play make-believe. I'm not going to pretend. Now, do you think if, if, if you were to say to God, listen, I'm not just going to go through the motions. I'm not going to pretend. I want more than that. Do you think God would say to you, well, come back to me next week. I'll think about it. No, he's there already. He's there already. Listen, <clears throat> there's nothing he's asking of you that he won't empower you to do. Relationships are the sweetest and the most painful things in our lives, aren't they? This relationship with him is not painful. He's a perfect friend. He's a perfect savior. He's the lover of your soul. 
So when you, when, you, when you give yourself to that relationship with him, I guarantee you, you're going to be satisfied because he's in it. He's there. He's declared fully invested in you. He wants it. Don't let it be about dead works. Number four, and then we're done. <clears throat> to set you free to serve the living God. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to be there with him. He wants relationship with you. You see, here's the thing. You and I want to found relationship based on what we do. I do this and I do that and I do this. Of course I love God. Just what the Pharisees did. <clears throat> you know, relationship is not founded on what you do. What you do is founded on relationship. Do you get that? Do you understand the difference there? That if I'm going to serve the living God, it's going to have to be from a heart that's got a purged conscience, that's not do, dealing in dead works, that's not doing my own thing uh, and going my own way. That's actually, I've got to have a heart that's willing, desiring, and longing for a relationship with him. And because I'm in this sweet relationship with him, he's asking me to do stuff, and I'm doing it, and I'm enjoying doing it. See, Christianity is not supposed to be about you sucking lemons. Christianity is about you enjoying a relationship with God. Walking with him, enjoying him, learning about him, getting closer to him. Well, he doesn't want dead works from you. He wants you. Isn't that wonderful? That he actually wants you. So many people spend their lives wandering around looking for somebody that actually wants them. When the central character in all your life has declared himself fully and he says, I want you. I want you for my own. <clears throat> he, he desires relationship with you in the deepest possible way. And he knows you. See, so you've got nothing to fear. But he wants relationship with you. <clears throat> I love being a pastor because I know that <clears throat> I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I can't make it. I can't make it happen. But you know what? This is an area of my life where I have to access the living God. I have to be right to do this because I can't do this by myself. You've got areas in your life like that too, don't you? You've got areas where you can't do it. You know you're not enough and you know you can't make it and you're, and you're just not able. What are you going to do with those areas? Accept them and rejoice like Paul did. Paul rejoiced in his infirmities. Why? 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 I mean, who, wa who wants to rejoice, rejoice in their infirmities? Who wants to rejoice in their lack? Who wants to rejoice in their problems? Nobody. That's, that's not human, humanly sane, is it? But why did Paul do it? Because when I am weak, then am I strong. When I recognize my weakness, my I can't, my I'm not able, and I access your strength, then I'm strong. And you see... <clears throat> That's what he wants with us. He wants that sweet relationship where we come to him. Troubles, problems, lacks, inadequacies, issues, and all of it. And he says, come to me. Come to me. I love you. I want you. I'll, I'll help you. And he helps. So often the children of God go somewhere else looking for help. Go to pleasure. Go to something that's fun. Go to some drug. Go to <clears throat> some relationship that's not right. 
We'll go to all kinds of things. And he says, don't do that. Come to me. I want you. I want relationship with you. I want you to enjoy me, and I want to enjoy being with you. Are there difficulties in your life? Oh, yeah. There will be until the day he takes you to be with him, and then they're all gone, by the way. Finished. Done. No more problems. They're all finished. They're all over in that day. But until that day, you're going to have difficulties and problems. And you know what your difficulties and problems are going to do for you? If you let them work for you the way he intends, they're going to draw you closer to him. They're going to bring you into a sweeter, deeper, closer relationship with him because he's the only one that can satisfy the needs of your soul. Oh, let him do his work. Let the blood do its work in your life. You can't. You're not able. He does it. Come to the end of yourself and come to him. So let's close. If you're not saved, then you're under the wrath of God. But the blood avails. Uh, He that believeth on the Son hath life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What does it mean to believe on the Son? It means to come to the place where you realize, I am a sinner. I do deserve to go to hell. But Jesus paid the price for my sin, and I'm believing on his finished work. And it's that easy. Ask many of the people in this room, There was a point where they asked him, and he did it, and their lives have been changed, and they've never been the same since. But you come this morning, and you know you're saved, Um, and you say, but, you know, my Christianity's not all it should be. Don't, Don't do better. Don't set your heart to do better. Come to the blood. Lord, I'm not able. Lord, I want it. I see it. I, I can almost touch it sometimes, Lord. When somebody else talks about it, my heart just goes on fire. But Lord, I haven't got it. And Lord, I desperately want it. Lord, would you help? And you trust him and depend upon him, and he'll bring you into that relationship. He'll bring you into that sweetness. Because he wants it more than you do. It's not, do you have the will parts? Are you willing? Are you willing to come to him this morning and say, Lord, I want it. Lord, help me. Lord, draw me in. Whatever it takes, Lord, draw me in. The Holy Spirit will come in and listen, he'll do the work if you let him. Now, he won't do it against your will. He won't force you. But if you let him in, he'll do it. You know what? We need our consciences purged from good works so that we can be set free to serve the living God. Because when we serve the living God, it's not work. It's certainly not dead work. It's a work of love. A work we were made for. And a work we enjoy on this planet more than anything else we can do. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Hebrews, and thank you, Lord, for the blood, the blood that saves, the blood that cleanses, the blood that cleanses even our consciences, cleanses us deep down. Now, Lord, we're coming to you today, Lord. We're a needy people. Lord, there's nobody in this room that's not needy, Lord. We're all needy. And we come to you today, Lord, and we ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives. Lord, would you just take and do 
what needs to be done. Lord, just stir people to cry out to you. And, oh, Lord, may it be that we let you in to do the work you want to do. Let's just take a few moments, and as you stand there, if you need to be saved, cry out to him and ask him to save you. If you're saved, uh, but you need to be set free from dead works, you need to be cleansed of dead works, then listen, cry out to him too, that it might be real and that you might walk with him. Just between you and him, I'll close in a moment. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in hearts and lives. Lord, would you bless? And Lord, would you, by your power, make us those sons and daughters that you plan for us to be. And oh, Lord, may we enjoy you. And Lord, may we serve you with hearts of love uh, because we're walking in a close walk with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.